0: Uh, Today we are concluding our series called Share, and so if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking in Romans chapter 8 today, uh, verse number 33, and so if you take time to, to turn there, I'm going to share with you a story. I heard about this guy that loves baseball. Absolutely loves baseball. He said, doesn't matter where the game was being played, uh, what, what channel it was on, what teams were playing, he was going to watch it. Just love baseball. But he was a Christian, and so as he was uh, having his nightly prayers, he was thinking about baseball, and so he prayed, and he just asked God a question. He said, God, I just want to know, is there baseball in heaven? And, and to his complete shock, God answered him. And God said to him, he said, don't you know that there are more important things for you to be to be praying about than, than talking about baseball in heaven and so the guy was apologetic said I'm not trying to be disrespectful I just love baseball so much and I just want to know if there is baseball in heaven and so the god told him he said I got good news for you so there is baseball in heaven so they got bad news you're pitching friday now uh, now whenever we uh, talk about heaven uh, one thing that oftentimes of course comes up is salvation And so a lot of us, when we think about salvation, one of the great benefits that comes with it is we we think about heaven. And so the question is, well, then how do we get there? And when it comes down to it, there are a lot of people who believe, well, if I just do more good things than bad things, then everything's going to work out fine. I'm going going to be good. But, guys, I want to share something with you. It's called salvation for a reason. And the word salvation, it means to be rescued. So that means that it's not up to you and what you do in order to be rescued. Uh, to be rescued means you are at a place where you are totally helpless, where there is nothing for you to be able to do, and so you are dependent upon outside help in order to bring you into this wonderful relationship with God and this place that's called heaven. Uh, I can give you an example of this. Uh, the example that I have is y'all might remember back in 2010. The Chilean miner disaster. It was on TV all over the place. If you don't remember it, that's why I'm here. I get to tell you the story. And so here's the story. Uh, back in 2010, there were 33 miners that ended up getting trapped by beneath 2,000 feet of rock. They were completely sealed in, and they had no way to communicate with the outside world. They were, they were men who were in need of salvation, right? They were in need of being rescued. And so you know what they did whenever they were underneath those rocks? They started doing what I think all of us would do. They began to pray, Dear God, help us. And they just simply had to hope that somebody would help them. Now, they had limited amount of supplies. And so what they did in order to survive is they they would eat two bites of tuna. They would have a sip of milk and a bite of peaches every other day. How horrible. Not only are you trapped behind 2,000 pounds or feet of rock, you've got to eat tuna, which is awful. And so they're underneath there, and they're just like, man, we're just hoping somebody's going to come and get us. Well, the Chilean authorities began to work with NASA. And they're trying to figure out how they could get a capsule down there to rescue the men and so they finally came up with an idea and they they built this cat uh, this capsule, like 13 feet tall they were able to drill it down into the rock and they they finally found those 33 men they had been down there for two months and every one of them survived the capsule got down there the door opened up and guess who got on the, every one of them there was not now there was not a guy who, who said hey y'all going ahead without me I'm going to earn my way to the top. Now, it didn't happen. As soon as he saw that capsule, everybody was like, man, we are on board. We are getting out of here because there was nothing we could do to get out, but now we've been rescued. Okay, guys, that is a picture of what salvation means. We are beyond ourselves, and we need somebody to rescue us. And that's why we've been going through this series called Share. Because there, there is a world out there that where people, they are trapped, and we have a message of good news to share with them. Now, what's the message? Well, Jesus gave us a, a great statement. He said in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, that is the message that we have to share. But here's the question. How do we do that? Yeah, I, mean, I think we, we kind of have that idea that people need to hear this message, but when we find out that we're to be the messengers, like, I don't know what to do with that. You know, how am I supposed to share a message like that? Well, that's why in your bulletin, you have that little pamphlet. And it's called the Roman Road. And so here's here's my challenge for you. I just first of all, I just challenge you to read it, to go through it. But my hope is that as God leads you, that there will be a person that you will be willing to walk through that pamphlet with, to share the news and the, the, the story of salvation and rescue. But before you do that, I want us to look in our scripture today and see how Paul points out to us the directions that lead us down the road of salvation. And so when you talk to somebody, talk to them about Jesus these are some very important things that you can share with them. And that's why we're going to look in Romans 8, through 39. And what I like about this passage of Scripture is it's probably one of the most comforting passages of Scripture that there is concerning, you know, concerning salvation, concerning a rescue from sin. And, and I like this Scripture so much because it takes all of the pressure off of us in earning our way into God's good favor. Because I really think that's what most of the world does. We think, I'm going to be okay with God if I, if I do more good things than bad things. But when we look in the Scripture today, we're going to see all of the onus is on God for our salvation and what He does for us. So what, does, what has God done for us? Let's just look at a few things. It begins with this. He justifies us. God justifies his people. Verse 33, it says, Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Now, the way to heaven is not paved with people who do more good things than bad things. I hear a lot of people tell me that. Well, how, why do you believe that you're going to heaven? Well, because I've done more good things than bad things. And in my mind, I'm thinking, no, you haven't, because I know who you are right I mean it's just that's not the way that you get there it's not anything that you can do now there's other people who will say this and this is one that I hear quite a bit as well how in the world I'm going to heaven because how in the world could a loving God ever allow anybody to go to hell to be separated for an eternity from God how could a loving God do that and I think that's really it's a good question but here's something that I, am, that I know about love. Before there is really love, or one component that has to be mixed in with love is justice. You cannot be loving and not be just. They go together. There is love, and a part of love is being just. You might say, well, that doesn't seem very fair to me. Let me tell you something. You and I are the exact same way. We want love, but we also understand that there has to be justice. I mean, if somebody goes into your house and steals something that's very valuable to you, and they get caught, and then you go to trial, and the judge sees all the evidence, and you're sitting there watching this go down, and the judge says, I know he's guilty, but I'm going to let him off. Now, if you're a normal person, what are you going to be thinking? I'll tell you what, as a normal person, I'm going to be thinking, that ain't right. That's not fair. I'm going to be thinking, this is not just. And I'm not going to have any respect for a judge who does something like that. Well, let me tell you something about God. God is just. And the Bible tells us that there is a price to pay when you sin, when we step outside of God's boundaries for our lives. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So here's the deal. We're all in big time trouble. We are all guilty. We have all sinned. Therefore, what that means is that we need to face justice. And what makes it even worse is that there is a devil out there who every day is condemning us before God. We're told in Revelation 12.10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God... And the authority of his Messiah have now come because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out. The accuser of our brothers is Satan. And the one who accuses them before our God day and night. The devil is constantly pointing out our failures before God, the Bible says, every day. Now, I know that there are some of you who probably get upset whenever somebody on Facebook unfriends you. Let me tell you something worse. The devil is trying to get God to unfriend you. And he's doing it every single day. And here's what's scary. He's got a pretty good case against us. Because the Bible says that we're guilty. He desires us to be separated from God. Now, if I can't justify myself, if I can't make myself right before God, why should I have any confidence in this life? Because of verse 33. If you look in verse 33, it says, God is the one who... Who justifies. Now, how does he do that? Well, he sent his son Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus died for us. Jesus stepped in and he paid. He justly paid. He fulfilled justice by paying our debt of sin. And so, whenever we talk about God and we say, God, you know, God, there's no way, God does not desire anyone to go to hell, we can say basically what God has said to us he said if anyone goes to hell it's going to be over my dead body and it's over Jesus's dead body second Corinthians 521 says he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God Jesus died for us but then he demonstrated his power over the penalty of sin by doing something fantastic the resurrection. He rose from the grave. He conquered death. And because of that, that means that we too can have victory over death as well when we trust Jesus. That's why verse 31 says, if God be for us, then who can be against us? Yeah, I mean, if, if Jesus has the power to conquer death, what in the world do we have to be afraid of in this life? And yet, way too many of us are spending our time trying to justify ourselves. And trying to make ourselves right with God. Trying to prove our case by our actions that we're okay with God. But we're not. Unless we come to Jesus. And when we come to Jesus and trust Him, it is then that He justifies us. You know, I'll hear people say, well, you know, before I really start following Jesus, I need to, I need to clean some stuff up in my life. And I, mean, I understand the sort of the sentiment of that, but... When you think about it like this, you know, after you've mowed the yard and you've been outside sweating all day and your wife tells you you need to take a shower, you say, you know, before I take a shower, I'm going to get cleaned up first. I mean, that doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, you, can't, you can't get cleaned up. That's why you take a shower. I don't know how y- y'all are in, in our house whenever we wash dishes. We actually, we, my wife makes me wash them before we wash the dishes. Do any of y'all do that? That doesn't make any sense. So we clean the dishes and then we wash them. Okay, that's what what we're trying to do with Jesus. Say, before I come to Jesus, I'm going to get myself cleaned up. Well, here's the deal. You can't get yourself cleaned up before you come to Jesus. You go to Jesus to get cleaned up. Jeremiah 2.22 says, Even if you wash with lye and use a great amount of soap, so the stain of your sin sin is still in front of me. So so what what does God do for us concerning salvation? He justifies us. But then here's something that's really powerful that He also does. He intercedes for us. He justifies, he intercedes. Verse 34, it says, Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Now, this verse, what it's doing is it's painting a picture of a courtroom for us. And whenever you go into a courtroom, who are the, ma- who are the major players in a courtroom? Y- y'all, get to, y'all get to help out here. Okay, there's a judge. That's right. Who else? Jury. All right. Who else? Yeah, there's lawyers, and then there's the guilty guy. Right. I'm just kidding. Yeah, there's the, there's a the guy. There's the defendant. Okay, so that's who's there. Okay. Now in our text, let's go through the who's the judge in our text. God's a judge. Okay. Now, okay. So who are the who is the uh, um, the uh, defendant? You are. Let that one sink in just for a minute. Okay, so you're standing before God. What's God judging? He's judging you, how you live, your heart. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say it now. You're guilty, baby. I mean, you are, you're in trouble. And I'll go ahead and throw myself in here. I am too. Okay, so God is judge. I'm the one who's the defendant, and I don't have much of a case. But you know who our lawyer is? It's Jesus. Jesus is our lawyer. Our verse tells us that it is Christ who intercedes for us. Let me tell you something. Christ is not just any lawyer. Christ is the one, verse number 34, Christ is the one who went and he paid our debt of sin for us to meet the qualifications of justice. That's the kind of lawyer that we have. Galatians 3, we're told, uh, verses 13 through 15, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. That's what Jesus said. He was hung on a tree. And the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. So Jesus came. He, he's our, here's our lawyer. He, he's our lawyer who believes in us, and he died for us. But he didn't just do that. In verse number 34, he did something really spectacular. He rose from the grave. Jesus conquered death. Jesus said, I will pay your debt of sin. And so what he's doing, he's saying, okay, world, I'm going to step in for them. They're guilty, but I'm going to meet the qualifications for justice. Throw the best you've got at me. And so what did the world do? Killed him. And then three days later, Jesus got up and basically says, that all you got? He conquered death. So if we place our trust in him, then Jesus has already met the qualifications for justice in that he took our place for us. Therefore, we are no longer going to be held in God's judgment where we're going to be separated him forever when we place our trust in him. Now, this, this, is, this idea, and that seems incredible, and it is, but this idea, is still we still play this out in the court of law today. It's called, it's called double jeopardy. Y'all ever heard of that before? You seen the movie, Double Jeopardy? All right, so, there's a, so the whole, here's the whole deal. You can't be tried for the same thing twice, right? I mean, the, there's, there's a story about this. In Wisconsin, there was a man that was being, uh, had been charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. He's in court, and he told the judge, he said, I've actually been in this court before. He said, I was in here two years before for murder. They found me innocent. He said, but I was actually guilty. I mean, believe the, the judge's mind. He wanted, he wanted to get rid of this guy. He wanted him to go behind bars. But there was nothing they could do because of double, double jeopardy. He'd already been found innocent. Now let me tell you something. We are just as guilty as that guy is. But because Jesus has already taken the trial for us. He's, he went to the cross for us. Guys, we, we can't be tried again. Because Jesus has given us freedom. Because our lawyer is a good one. He interceded for us. So so what has Jesus done for his people to bring about salvation? He justifies, he intercedes, and here's the last one, and he loves us. He loves us continuously. These are the most powerful verses in Scripture to me, verse 35. It says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We're being counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, it says, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When things are going well for us in life, it's real easy to say, God loves me. When things are going really good in life, God's got his hand on me. When things aren't going well in life, it's easy to say, God's mad at me. Some people take it to an extreme. Say, "God, God doesn't even want to be near me because of some of the stuff that I've done. Because of some of the stuff that's in my past. It's like I've been disowned by God. But that's not how it works. You see, whenever you place your life into the hands of Christ, you become a part of the family of God. And once you are in the family of God, you are always in the family of God. That's why I think the question that's asked in verse 35 is really interesting. Here's the question. It says, is there anything that can separate us from the love of Christ? Now think about that. Is there anything that can separate you from Jesus? Here's the answer. No. Jesus always loves you. Always. So you say, well, what, what about in my failings? I mean, Jesus loves you. It doesn't mean that he's, you know, he agrees with what you're doing, but he loves you. He will always love you. He will always care for you. Now, the key is there needs to be repentance on our part. But let me say this. There are times whenever you can be struggling in life, and it's, it, you're not struggling because God's against you. Sometimes, y'all, sometimes there's struggles in life. This is just a dark world. It's a broken place. When we live in a broken world, you can be a godly person and yet still have struggles in your life. And whenever you struggle in life, it doesn't mean that it's because God's against you necessarily. very well could be that God's allowing these trials to come into your life. Because trials, did you know trials could strengthen and build you up? We're told this in Romans 5, 3-5, through it says, We also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us just because you might be struggling in life right now does not mean that God has given up on you as a matter of fact here's what God lets us know no matter what your struggles are God has enough power to give to you to overcome and have victory over your struggles that you have in your life if you look in verse number 37 it tells us that through Jesus we are more than victorious that's impressive Now, that word, more than victorious, when you literally translate it, it literally means you are a super conqueror. Okay, if you've ever wanted to be a superhero, you are. The Bible says you are a super conqueror through Jesus Christ. Now, think about that. Because of Jesus, you're victorious. You win every time because of Jesus. Yeah, I'm not a, um, I'm not a I, don't, I don't even know how to, I'm gonna, I don't know how to play poker or anything. I'm not a proponent of gambling. But the World Series of Poker was on ESPN, I guess a couple weeks ago, and I watched it. And it was just sort of fascinating. And the, the guy that won it was a guy named Scott Blum, Blumstein. And I watched it because there's like $8 million on the line. And I was like, I, don't, I wonder if he's, who's going to win this thing. So I sat there and watched the guy. And he, he ends up winning the tournament. And so he wins the whole thing. It's $8 million. And uh, so they interviewed him, they said, you know, how did you win it, you know, what were your thoughts, and so here's, here's what he said, I, I just thought it was interesting, he said, for me to win this, he goes, it takes variance and luck to win, now isn't that interesting, it's, it's, it, it, it was not a sure thing, now he had to have some skill, but it was not a sure thing for him, eight million dollars on the line, and he says, it, when it comes down to it, it's variance and luck, I don't know about y'all, I'm not feeling real good, about sitting down at a table with eight million dollars on the line. If I've got money involved and I'm thinking, you know, the real key factors here are going to be variance and luck. Like okay? that doesn't make me comfortable. But could you sit at that table if you knew that every time you're going to win? I mean, I could. I could sit at that table. I wouldn't even have to wear them sunglasses they wear. So you know, for tell signs. I would mean, just sit down at the table and you know, sit there smiling. Dude, I'm going to win this thing every time. I'd have confidence. Okay, now this is what, when the Bible says you are more than victorious, you are a super conqueror, this is what it means. It means you are sitting down at a table, and the cards are being dealt out, and you're like, you know, I don't even care what they are. Because I know I have a winning hand every time. Why? Because of Jesus. Because whenever I come into Jesus' family, the Bible lets me know I am always in his family. Same thing, it's always true. It's true with your kids, if you have kids. Your kids, they will always be in your family. No matter, no matter who they are, no matter what they do, they will always be in your family, right? If, if your mom, Moms and dads, your DNA is always in your children. Your children are like, well, that's great. But your DNA is always in your children. They will always belong to you. Same thing is true with God. Okay, now I said all this stuff to let you know this. This is good news. Romans 8, through 39, this is all really good news. So what, what, is, what does Jesus do for us? What does he do for us to bring assurance into, for our salvation? He, he justifies you. You don't justify yourself. You can't. He does. You are putting yourself at his mercy. He intercedes for you. He is your lawyer, your advocate. He speaks for you before God. And he's not just some guy talking for you. He is the man who gave his life for you and conquered death. And then he loves you continuously. We live in a world where people need to hear this, the good news. You need to share. That's our job. That's what we've been called to do, to share this good news. Because there are people who are like those Chilean miners. They are trapped and they don't see a way out. But Jesus has called you to give them that way out by sharing that message with them. And you might say, well, does it really matter? You know, how important is it for me to share? You don't know how important it is for you to share? It's so important that the person that you share with, for one, it is you being obedient to what God's called you to do. But you, when you share, you don't just change one person's life when you share you will change generations of lives when you share. Now, I know that because I talked to a guy in our church a few weeks ago, and his father has just died, and he shared a story about a man who talked to his dad about Jesus 50 something years ago. And it changed not just his dad's life, but generations. And so we're gonna watch him share with us on video his testimony about how sharing matters.
1: My name is Aaron Hawkins, along with my wife and kids, we're members here at Village Church. Bill Sherman's act of obedience changed my dad's life, which allowed him to be a teacher, and a coach, which then changed my life because he led me to the Lord. He led my brother to the Lord along with my mother. And then we responded you know, by leading you know, my kids to the Lord and my brother leading you know, his kid to the Lord. And it's just that one little act of obedience that changed everything. And the last week of my dad's life, I, I tried to find Bill Scher. I, I wondered if he was even still alive, because he always seemed so much older when I was a kid. Well, what I found out was he—you know—he was 85 years old, and my, my dad passed away at 75. And I started doing the math and thinking that guy was only 28 when he made contact with my guy you know, with my dad. It's stunning. And so I called him. I found. I did some internet searching and found him and there was a phone number and I called it and lo and behold he answered and I was boohooing on the other end of the phone sounding like a babbling idiot I hadn't talked to that guy in in, in probably 30 some years and I just wanted to thank him for just being obedient just taking grace just you know provided by grace through faith and then you know being obedient It changed everything you don't know what the impact is. And when people are watching you with the unspoken word, you don't know what impact that you have. And there was nothing more that became more apparent to me when I watched my father take his last breath, you know, about how important Christ is. Sometimes we, I think we just forget that. And when I watched him take his last breath, there was nothing in the world that he needed. Not his bank account not his house not not even his family he just had what he needed and that was Christ